...mannerly up at Stollery. They pull the possibilities like gentlemen. How do you mean? I said. I'll explain when you're old enough to understand the magic of high finance, my uncle replied. Meanwhile... His face went all withered and serious. Meanwhile, you can't afford to go risking your neck on Stall Crag. You really can't, Con. Not with the bad karma you carry. What's karma? I asked. That's another thing I'll explain when you're older, my uncle said. Just don't let me catch you going rock climbing again, that's all. I sighed. Karma was obviously something very heavy, I thought, if it stopped you climbing rocks. I went to ask my sister, Anthea, about it. Anthea is nearly ten years older than me, and she was very learned even then. She was sitting over a line of open books on the kitchen table, with her long black hair trailing over the page she was writing notes on. Don't bother me now, Con, she said, without looking up. She's growing up just like Mum, I thought. But I need to know what karma is. Karma? Anthea looked up. She has huge, dark eyes. She opened them wide to stare at me wonderingly. Karma's sort of like fate, except it's to do with what you did in a former life. Suppose that in a life you had before this one you did something bad, or didn't do something good, then fate is supposed to catch up with you in this life, unless you put it right by being extra good, of course. Understand? Yes, I said, though I didn't, really. Do people live more than once, then? The magicians say you do, Anthea answered. I'm not sure I believe it myself. I mean, how can you check that you had a life before this one? Where did you hear about karma? Not wanting to tell her about Stall Crag, I said vaguely, Oh, I read it somewhere. And what's pulling the possibilities? That's another thing I read. It's something that would take ages to explain, and I haven't time, Anthea said, bending over her notes again. You don't seem to understand that I'm working for an exam that could change my entire life. When are you going to get lunch, then? I asked. Isn't that just my life in a nutshell? Anthea burst out. I do all the work round here and help in the shop twice a week, and nobody even considers that I might want to do something different. Go away. You didn't mess with Anthea when she got this fierce. I went away and tried to ask Mum instead. I might have known that would be no good. Mum has this little bare room with creaking floorboards half a floor down from my bedroom, with nothing in it much except dust and stacks of paper. She sits there at a wobbly table, hammering away at her old typewriter, writing books and magazine articles about women's rights. Uncle Alfred had all sorts of smooth new computers down in the back room where Miss Silex works, and he was always on at Mum to change to one as well, but nothing will persuade Mum to change. She says her old machine is much more reliable. This is true. The shop computers went down at least once a week. This, Uncle Alfred said, was because of the activities up at Stallery.
But the sound of Mum's typewriter is a constant hammering through all four floors of the house. She looked up as I came in and pushed back a swatch of dark grey hair. Old photos show her looking rather like Anthea, except that her eyes are a light yellow-brown like mine. But you would never think her anything like Anthea now. She is sort of faded, and she always wears what Anthea calls that horrible mustard-coloured suit, and forgets to do her hair. I like that. She's always the same, like the cathedral, and she always looks over her glasses at me the same way. Is lunch ready? she asked me. No, I said. Anthea's not even started it. Then come back when it's ready, she said, bending to look at the paper sticking up from her typewriter. I'll go when you tell me what pulling the possibilities means, I said. Don't bother me with things like that, she said, winding the paper up so that she could read her latest line. Ask your uncle. It's only some sort of magician's stuff. What do you think of disempowered broodmares as a description? Good, eh? Great, I said. Mum's books are full of things like that. I'm never sure what they mean. That time I thought a disempowered broodmare was some sort of weak nightmare, and I went away thinking of all her other books, called things like Exploited for Dreams and Disabled Eunuchs. Uncle Alfred had a whole table of them down in the shop. One of my jobs was to dust them, but he almost never sold any, no matter how enticingly I piled them up. I did lots of jobs in the shop, unpacking books, arranging them, dusting them, and cleaning the floor on the days Mrs. Potts's nerves wouldn't let her come. Mrs. Potts's nerves were always bad on the days after she had tried to tidy Uncle Alfred's workroom. The shop and the whole house used to echo then with shouts of, I told you just the floor, woman. You've ruined that experiment, and you're lucky not to be a goldfish. Touch it again and you'll be a goldfish. But Mrs. Potts, at least once a month, just could not resist, stacking everything in neat piles and dusting the chalk marks off the workbench. Then Uncle Alfred would rush up the stairs, shouting, and the next day Mrs. Potts's nerves kept her at home, and I would have to clean the shop floor. As a reward for this, I was allowed to read any books I wanted from the children's shelves. To be brutally frank with you, which is Uncle Alfred's favourite phrase, this reward meant nothing to me, until about the time I heard about karma and fate, and started wondering what pulling the possibilities meant. Up to then, I preferred doing risky things, for I mostly wanted to go and see friends in the part of town where televisions worked. Reading was even harder work than cleaning the floor. But suddenly, one day, I discovered the Peter Jenkins books. You must know them. Peter Jenkins and the Thin Teacher, Peter Jenkins and the Headmaster's Secret, and all the others. They're great. Our shop had a whole row of them, at least twenty and I set out to read them all. Well, I had already read about six, and those all kept harking back to another one called Peter Jenkins and the Football Formula that sounded really exciting. So that was the one I wanted to read next. I finished the floor as quickly as I could, 
Then, on my way to dust Mum's books, I stopped by the children's shelves and looked urgently along the row of shiny red and brown Peter Jenkins books for Peter Jenkins and the football formula. The trouble is, all those books look the same. I ran my finger along the row, thinking I'd find the book about seventh along. I knew I'd seen it there. But it wasn't. The one in about the right place was called Peter Jenkins and the Magic Golfer. I ran my finger right along to the end, and it still wasn't there, and the headmaster's secret didn't seem to be there either. Instead, there were three copies of one called Peter Jenkins and the Hidden Horror, which I'd never seen before. I took one of those out and flipped through it, and it was almost the same as the headmaster's secret, but not quite. Vampire bats instead of a zombie in the cupboard, things like that. And I put it back, feeling puzzled and really frustrated. In the end, I took one at random before I went on to dust Mum's books. And Mum's books were different, just slightly, too. They looked the same, with Franconia Grant in big yellow letters on them, but some of the titles were different. The fat one that used to be called Women in Crisis was still fat, but it was now called The Case for Females, and the thin, floppy one was called Mother Wit instead of do we use intuition, like I remembered? Just then I heard Uncle Alfred galloping downstairs, whistling on his way to open the shop. Hey, Uncle Alfred, I called out. Have you sold all the Peter Jenkins and the football formulas? I don't think so, he said, rushing into the shop with his worried look. He hurried along to the children's shelves, muttering about having to reorder as he changed his glasses over. He peered through them at the row of Peter Jenkins' books.